Well, good morning, friends and family. How is everyone this rainy morning? You doing okay? I just want to welcome all of you and congratulate you for, uh, for getting here this morning, whether it was by boat or pontoon or backstroke. I'm just glad to see each of you here this morning. And for our friends and family online, welcome. We're glad that you're joining us even through this wonderful medium of digital technology. It's so good to be with you. My name is Josh. I'm one of the ministers here. And if this is your first time, we want you to know you are welcome. And we're so glad that you are a part of our family. Next week, before we uh, jump into today, this is our last teaching on marriage. We will come back to this topic periodically because marriage is kind of important. Wouldn't you agree? For the five of you who agree, I'm so glad. That's great. That's great. Woo! We'll come back to it from time to time, but this is our last in this teaching on Adore, God's gift of marriage, sex, and singleness. Next week, we jump into a new teaching on the life of a man named Barnabas, and we're calling it Just Like Barnabas. Because here's the reality. A lot of us read Scripture, and we'll look at guys like Paul or Peter, and we'll go, man, I wish I could be like them. I I can't. But every one of us can be a Barnabas. And I want you to know there are things about Barnabas' life that you may not know that may shock you, but I believe will encourage you. And I would much rather be in a church full of Barnabases than a church with one or two Pauls. And I believe every one of us can be a part of what God wants to do in making this church and this city a better place week after week after week. So that begins next week. I invite you and encourage you to be here ready for that. But today we are talking about one final piece, one final piece. In this topic of marriage, sex, and singleness, and I want you to say it with me out loud on the count of three, these few words. Are you ready? One, two, three, till death do us part. Now, growing up, I was told that divorce was not an option, but murder was. I would not advocate either. But the reality is every marriage will at some point come to an end. And we have the choice, do we want it to end at a graveside or with lawyers? Those are our two options. And what I want you to know this morning is God's good gift of marriage. No matter where you are today, if you are at the highest point, great news, it can get better. If you're at a low point, great news, it can get better. Because I believe that God, in his tender mercy and plan, wants each of us to come together in marriage if you are choosing to get married. Some of us will choose not to, and that's okay. But if you choose to get married, that it will be for life. Now, for some of you go, I tried that. It didn't work. What now? What what, what now? And I want you to know, the same goes for you. Wherever you are, it is not too late to start again. We talked about that last week, and we're going to get into that some more this week. But... As I was thinking about this idea, till death do us part, I was thinking about a conversation I had with a friend some time ago. And it was a conversation immediately after he had told that special someone for the very first time those three words, I love you. Now listen, friends, if you say I love you, just a little aside, before I tell you what happened with my friend, uh, be thoughtful about it. If someone says I love you and you love them back, let them know. My sweet wife, first time we ever communicated I love you, she looked at me and in French said, je t'aime mon ami. I've told you this before. And I, I said, well, what does that mean? And she says, I love you. And I went, thank you. 
so you can do better than that. But my friend, he said, oh, I loved her, and, and I didn't know if she loved me back. She was so over my head, out of my league, I just didn't know. But she said, oh, I love you too. It was amazing. And so for the next 30 minutes, it's just, I love you. No, I love you. Oh, I love you. No, I love you. And he goes on to tell me the whole story of the night that he said he loved you to this woman. And he said, and after a few hours of that, I had to go home. So I left her apartment, but I wanted to talk to her some more. So I called her on the phone. And of course, I just continued, oh, I love you. And she's like, I love you. I love you. And he left at me. He said, Josh, can you believe that two people would babble on and on like a couple of idiots. And I said, based on the conversation I just heard, yeah. <laughs> Isn't it true that we start off with this infatuation, love, this falling in love is such a powerful experience. It's like a performance-enhancing drug. And we see these moments, even in Scripture, one of my favorite moments is when this man named Jacob meets the girl of his dreams, Rachel, and he's like, I've got to make her my wife. And so he goes to her, her father, Laban, and says, hey, what must I do to marry your wife? And the guy says, work for me for seven years, and I will give you my wife's hand in marriage. And I love what Scripture says. It's not just, yes, I'll do it. It's not just, ah, I'll make it work. But in Genesis 29, 20, it says, so Jacob served seven years to get Rachel. But they seemed like only a few days to him. Because of his love for her. Men, quick question. How many of you guys have felt so in love that you would do that for your wife? Anyone, any other? Guys, raise your hands. It costs you nothing. Come on, this is easy here. Good grief, I'm working with a remedial class at 11 o'clock here. But isn't it true? You fall in love and there's this sense of, oh... This person completes me. This relationship will fix all of my problems. And then you get married. And you learn, no, not so much. In fact, what starts off as so good often becomes mundane or rote. It becomes this thing that changes. But for a moment there, we think that falling in love will change all the things that are broken in me. All my egocentricities. My selfishness. My self-focus. My inability to commit, all the things that seem to be wrong. For a moment, it seems like maybe this relationship will fix that. But of course, even though we feel like the Mother Teresa of love, we know that marriage or romance or falling in love can't fix us. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, but I think a lot of us think that if I find just the right person, it will fix whatever is wrong inside of me, almost like it will take away what's broken. But we know as Christ followers, no person can fix what's broken in us, only Jesus can. And so we come to this point where you fall in love, it doesn't save you from sin, only Jesus does. In fact, by the way, that, that infatuation feeling, research shows us, research shows us, that that infatuation feeling is both normal and temporary. It lasts only about two years, according to the best research. And so that a temporary emotion cannot create permanent character transformation. And so what ends up happening is you get married maybe, and you then have one of these. A bad moment. You have a season that just doesn't go well. Something just kind of gets off kilter. Now some of you, you say, well, it's not been a bad moment, Diggs. We've, we've been having issues forever. In fact... It started in the Reagan administration. Friends, even though it may be a bad moment, 
Here's the good news, and here's all I want you to hear. If you don't hear anything else, here it is. By the power of God, a bad moment, no matter if it's been a few months, years, or decades, a bad moment does not equal a bad marriage. You say, come on, come on, Diggs. Isn't that a little pie in the sky? No. By the power that God has given you through the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit living in you, a bad moment does not need to mean, nor does it have to mean, a bad marriage. But before we can address issues that may be going on today, to get to that point, that love that lasts a lifetime, as we read about Jacob and Rachel, we need to first assess the problem. And so, I'd like to get some help. I've got three couples. Come on up here. I want to help you, uh, my, my helpers, come on up here, Aldrich's, Coley's, uh, Taylor's, come quickly up here, yeah, oh, well, thank you. Man, we've got groupies. I want to show you there are three types of relationships, and your marriage, your dating relationship, even your ex-marriage will fall into one of these three categories. At some point, maybe all three of them, but I want to kind of walk you through this, and then so we can address, and then what's going on, so... Come on up here. Yes. Okay. Taylor's, yes, this is great. Aldridge's, go stand right over there. Coley's, this is perfect. In fact, Albert, you come stand right here for me, brother. All right. Now, here's the, what I want you to see. We're going to talk about this. This is the acrostic H-A-M. Can you all say ham? Ham. This is the way to remember the four t- uh, three types of marriage. This is the marital version of Y-M-C-A. Okay. So, what I want you to see, the very first kind of marriage is the H marriage. Go ahead and stand there. Put your arm out. Okay, now you can stand. There we go. Now, do you notice the H? Anyone? I love our Vannas in the audience. It's great. Okay, now, an H relationship has two people who are secure in themselves. They know who they are. They are firmly planted. They have an identity, but they do not have much connectivity. In fact, strong identity, but weak connectivity. This is what is called a detached relationship. And by the way, for many people, this is where marriages end up after a number of years. Is it true that children create stress in marriage, church? Is it true that money can create stress in, the church, or in a marriage? Yes. What about intimacy or lack thereof? Can that create stress in a marriage? There are a lot of things that over time cause us, if we're not careful, to become distant from one another. And what ends up happening is when you are only fingertips apart, almost anything can press through and break the relationship. Have we seen this happen before? So you have H relationships, strong identity, weak connectivity. Now, the next one is not an H, but it's an A. Now, go ahead. If you'll face one another, go ahead, face one another. And uh, let's, let's, hands up. Yep, there you go. Are you sure or unsure? Okay, and then lean towards each other. Feet further back, feet further back, feet further back. Yeah, now lean against each other. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <clears throat> now, now lean, come on, lean into each other. There you go. Now, this is an A relationship. A relationship has a weak identity, but strong connectivity. Are they strong leaning together? Yeah. They are close, they are pressed to one another. They have strong connectivity. But what happens if because of death, disease, divorce, or something else, one of them steps out or is taken out of the relationship? What happens when Lisa moves out of the way? Dale would fall. Don't you love the dramatic? This is just, I tell you, this is... 
Hollywood level. Now, here's what I want you to see. This kind of a relationship is not detached. This one is what we would call codependent. I need you. You need me. We're better together. Don't leave me. If you leave me now, you'll take away the biggest part of me. (sighs) Anyone? No? Okay. So we have H relationships. Come on, show me the H. We have A. Now, these are relations. Now, by the way, this is how a lot of relationships begin. Right? You complete me. But what happens? I want to show you the last one. Now, it won't come as any shock if these two are not the healthy ways. Let me show you the healthy one. This is an M relationship. Aren't you glad? You get to be the M relationship, Evan. Yeah, very good. Now, stand there. Just hold a hand. No, no, no. There you go. Now, do you notice the M? Anyone? We got this? Now, this is a healthy relationship because it is both strong identity and strong connectivity. Do you follow? They know who they are, but they are close enough that they are connected. This is where... Almost every marriage is in one of these three places. Now, one thing you need to know, you can be in one of these places and your spouse in another one, can't they? This is when you get the unexpected papers that your spouse wants a divorce. How? I didn't... what, What happened? It is possible. And so, for the next few minutes, we've now identified possible places that we are. I'm going to invite you to begin to consider where are you today? Because wherever you are today, again, the good news is a bad season, a bad moment does not have to equal a bad marriage. It can all go here because God is bigger than any issue you face. Is that good news? So, we're going to talk about that. Would you give our beautiful, beautiful actors and actresses a hand? So let me walk you through this very briefly this morning. So how do you develop a strong identity? How do you develop a strong identity? Well, perhaps it won't shock you to hear this simple idea. A strong, excuse me, a strong identity comes from a strong connection with God. How many of you are surprised that in church we might talk about God? Some of you, in fact, are going, really? Like, this is it? Well, of course, a strong connection. But here's the reality. For many of us, we may agree intellectually, but many of us are not living it out practically. We will say, of course, a relationship with God. Of course, Josh. Then why is it that so many of us struggle to find out and live into who we truly are? Maybe I need to identify what our identities are first. Here's a way to discover what your true identity is, the core of who you are. Simply do this. Finish the sentence, I am blank. Whatever the first word is that comes to mind or you place in the blank of I am, that is often who you primarily see yourself as. That is your primary identity. Now, for instance, one of the words that I could put on there would be, see, I am a dad. My children are two of my greatest joys in life. Is that a part of who I am? Of course. But if my kids are the core of who I am, being a father is the core of who I am, what happens if God, God forbid, anything should happen to my children? See, if they become the core of who I am, if they are my identity, then all that it takes to lose my identity is for me to lose my children. Do you see why that's not sufficient? Others would say, I am a spouse. That's who you are. You've always wanted to be married but what happens if your spouse dies or leaves? 
then your identity goes too. What about this one? Some of us will say, my identity, and you'll put in your job. Some of us, how often will you say, so what do you do for a living? And we'll use that phrase to talk about work. Friends, I do not live to preach, although I love preaching. That is not my identity. Because what happens if I lose my voice I lose my job. What happens? Then I've lost my identity. This is why who you are in Christ, knowing who you are by God's definition, is fundamental to everything else. And if you don't know who you are, if you place your identity in something secondary, all it takes is to lose that and you lose yourself. This is why at the beginning of the Bible, when God starts all this, he wants to be very clear who you are. And so he says this in Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, let us make mankind, say these three words with me, in our image, in our likeness. He goes on to clarify, it's not just some who are like this. Let's go back there. So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. In other words, this isn't just for dudes or just for dudettes. Everyone, whether you know God or not. You were made in his image. The Latin is imago Dei. That God has made you infinitely important. You say, infinitely, Josh? How can you say that? You know the value of something based on what someone is worth paying for it. Friends, when the price of your soul was up, God sent the infinite, valuable son Jesus, to pay for you, you are infinitely valuable to God. This is your identity. And before you ever enter a relationship, you need to know who you are and whose you are. This is why the phrase, I am, the great I am, tells me who I am is so important. Because who God says you are determines your true value. So let me tell you who you are. Before you think about your spouse, before you think about going the distance until death do us part, you need to know who you are so you are firm. So for instance, go ahead and just throw all these up, Andy, on the screen. God tells me that I am a child of God, John 1, 12. He says that you are a forgiven saint. Your past does not hold sway over your present or your future. And you are a saint. You say, a saint? Aren't that just names for Catholic people? No. If you are saved from your sins, you've been raised to sainthood. So I can look out there and look at my brother David Queen and I could call him Saint David, the patron saint of accountants, right? Some of you will get that if you grew up outside of the CFC. You can look at one another. You are a saint in God's eyes. You're not just a common entity. You are a saint because of what Christ has done for you. You are a friend of God. You are not condemned. Your sin does not damn you to hell because Christ has paid for it. Amen, anyone? This is your identity. You are co-heirs with Jesus Christ. In the moment after someone's death and they read the will, they talk about who gets what. When God says, here is all of my estate, your name and Jesus' name is on the same line. You get what Christ gets. You are a conqueror in this life and in death, meaning whatever you face today, you do not face it alone. And whatever comes tomorrow, Christ has already said he has victory over even death. You are now a conqueror over death. God says that you are accepted by God. You are a work of art. Ephesians 2.10 will use this word talking about how you are a masterpiece. 
You are a handcrafted gem created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for you to do. Did you know that you are a masterpiece? You may have been a surprise to mom and dad. You are not a surprise to God. He made you. And then finally, this last one, you are the temple, the space in which the infinite God dwells. In the ancient world, temples were the places where the divine and the earthly would come together in a sacred space. Did you know you are the walking sacred space of heaven? That God has poured himself into you, and now you are not a house on wheels, a mobile home. You are a mobile temple of God. This is who you are. If you will stand in this, then it doesn't matter what anyone says. It doesn't matter who leaves. This is your identity. Your identity is based on your connection with Jesus Christ. And it has to. You cannot have a healthy relationship if you have an unhealthy view of who you are. It all begins by knowing who you are, till death do us part begins, in Christ shall I live. This is how it begins. Now, a strong identity comes from your connection with God. What about connectivity with the ones you love? Go ahead and put this up. Strong connections with others comes from the overflow of your identity. Strong connections with others come from the overflow of your identity. You say, what does this mean? Let me put it this way. Next slide. We do not treat people according to who they are. We treat them based on who we are. We do not treat people according to who they are. We treat them based on who we are. What does this mean? How many of you have ever had just like a perfect day? I mean, just like a great day. You wake up. Everything's just right. You're like, ah, the birds are singing. You have a Disney Cinderella moment where maybe they come in and make your bed for you. Your spouse says, oh, darling, I love you. And you're like, thank you. Or maybe you pull a Han Solo. I know. Right? Whatever it may be. Everything is perfect. The weather's nice. Your clothes feel great. You feel good about yourself. Now, in those moments, you are driving down the street, and all of a sudden, someone decides to cut you off in traffic. They even decide to give you a one-finger wave. Now, if you've had a great day, perhaps it does not affect you the same way than if you've had a bad day. How many of you have had a bad day before? Anyone in here? Anyone in here honest this morning? Bad day? You wake up and it is not. Everything is good. The kids are sick or you're running late or the bills are due or you and your spouse have had, well, to say it's icy is an understatement. It's the second great ice age. Let's just put it that way. You have a bad day. Same situation, someone cuts you off. Does it affect you differently, church? Yes or yes? Because who you are, you treat people based on who you are, not on who they are. You say, well, Joshua, I'm not sure. Tell me, why is it that Jesus Christ could treat everyone well while other people would treat those same people poorly? Because it's not about the person, it's about who you are. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of who you are inside, your identity, you relate to your spouse. It's like a cup of water. Whatever it's full of, when it gets bumped, that's what comes out. This is why connection with your spouse begins with a deep understanding of who you are in Christ. You 
are the image bearer of God. So now you relate to people in a way that relates to who you already are. Now, how do you relate to people well? I got good news. The Bible gives us 59, 59 ways to treat your spouse or anyone you relate to well. In fact, there are 59, you may want to write this down, 59 one another passages in Scripture. In fact, let me just give you a few of them. Go ahead and throw all these on here. You can forgive your spouse. By the way, on this one, forgiveness. I love the fact that forgiveness doesn't require someone to say, I'm sorry. Isn't that good news? That you are not beholden to another person's actions to do your part in reconciliation. And by the way, this is very helpful for some of you who were hurt or wronged by someone who's already died. If you were dependent on them apologizing to you for you to grant forgiveness, you would be out of luck for the rest of your life. But one of the one another's, because if I know who I am, I am secure in who God has made me to be, I do not have to hold your grievances over your head, for I have received forgiveness and I can now be a conduit of forgiveness to you. We are to honor one another above yourselves. I love this. Honor. Isn't it an amazing thing? That honor is something we all want, but we rarely give. Let me give you a real simple way to honor your spouse this week. Are you ready? It's so easy. Brag on your spouse in front of your spouse's friends. Very simple. If you want to show honor to your spouse, one of the best ways to do it is you brag on your spouse in front of their friends and in front of your friends. It breaks my heart the number of times I hear Christians who will ride their spouse in front of other people. Will you never do this? Or she's always late. Or he can never remember anything. And they do it jokingly, but what they're doing is they are dishonoring the one person they said, I'm with till death do us part. If you want connectivity, part of what will build that is you say, I will honor you, become an expert in your spouse's strengths, not an expert in their flaws. In fact, here's just a real quick exercise. This week, sit down, take five minutes, and write down as many things as you can that your spouse does well. Or if you can't do that, marginally well. You're kind of going, well, great on a curve. This one's a C, but I'll put it in the column. We're good with that. Write it down. And you become an expert on their strengths. Friends, you've never changed someone by dogging them for their failures but you have absolutely influenced people because you called out their value and their strengths, haven't you? Think back to the coach in high school, the teacher in elementary school, that youth worker who spoke truth and value into your life, and they are the person you now remember years later as influencing you because you received something positive from them. Serve one another in love. You say, how do I serve someone? How do I... Here's the way to serve. Are you ready? This is so hard. It's so hard, but you can do this. You can... Watch what they do for themselves. Do it for them. That's it. Watch what they do for themselves, what matters to them, and do it for them. The connection is often about being conscious of the other person. By the way, do you notice that the Scriptures, although we talk a lot about falling in love, the Scripture never commands you to fall in love. The Scriptures command you to grow in love. To choose the other person. And one of the ways you do that is you carry the burdens that your spouse or the good friend or the significant other carries. You say, well, well, how do I do that? I can't do it for them. No, 
but you can do this next thing. You can pray for each other. One of the things my wife does is she will regularly ask me, what are you facing this week and how can I pray for you? See, she can't step into my shoes, but she can come alongside me in prayer. And here's the beautiful thing. When she asks God to empower me, although she is not with me in the moments, she gets to walk with me through prayer in that situation. And then finally, encourage one another. This is why we're going to talk about Barnabas next week. Because is it true we need encouragement, church? Yes or yes? Oh, my, yeah. When was the last time you just said, <laughs> please stop, I've, I've got too much encouragement already. Thank you. Encourage one another. Literally, give courage to another. This world is a scary place, but connection happens when you say, I'm stepping into your place and I will hold you close. I will walk with you. I can't be with you every moment, but I will pray for you. I will serve you. I will honor you before others. I will forgive you when you fail and I will be here, period. But see, that can only happen if you know. If you're looking to your spouse to fill the emptiness, you're going to keep looking and looking and looking, but when you know who Christ is and what he has done for you, then you are freeing your spouse to be who they are, not as your filler, but your partner in life, and those are radically different roles. This is how we do it. Now, so what do we do? Remember, H, A, M. I want you to pause for just a moment and consider, where am I this morning? Am I disconnected. How could I take the first step closer to my spouse today? Pick one thing. Am I A, am I someone, hello, am I someone who is so trusting and needing the other person that I do not know who I am? Today, how do you get more clarity of who you are? Receive the truth of scripture and breathe the truth of scripture in prayer. Read the scriptures and pray. Ask God and then reflect on it by speaking it back to him and to yourself. Remember who you are. This is the Mufasa to Simba moment where you say, this is who you are. But you take a step closer. You step stronger. Because, as we've already said, a bad moment does not have to equal a bad marriage. A bad moment doesn't have to equal a bad marriage. And I love this image of a clock, don't you? Because it means there's still time. It means that no matter what has happened so far, if you are still taking breath, there is an opportunity to change. You say, yeah, yeah, but my marriage, it's over. It's not too late for you to change. Yeah, yeah, but, but I've lost so many years, friends. It is never too late to start again. This is the gospel of Jesus Christ living out. Do you remember that beautiful picture that God gives us to depict his relationship with us? Did you know that the picture of marriage is the picture God used to describe his relationship with you? Throughout the Old Testament, this is the picture. And I love the fact that Israel, the people of God, the bride of God, come into relationship with God. They have a marriage ceremony. That is the Mount Sinai moment. You understand that. God and Israel exchange vows. He says, if you do this, I will do this, and I will do this, and you will do that. They are promising one another. And on Mount Sinai, they get the Ten Commandments. This is their covenant. But do they keep it or do they break the covenant, church? And they break it. 
And so then God, he says, I'm not done with you yet. It's not too late. There's still time. A bad moment does not mean we have a bad marriage. And so he goes for his people and he keeps going after them. So much so that he then says to a man named Hosea, a prophet, I want you to be a picture to the people of my love for them. And so he says, Hosea, I want you to get married. And Hosea says, yippee. It's in the Hebrew. Just look it up, okay? He says, I want you to marry. He says, great, God, who do you want me to marry? He says, I want you to marry this woman named Gomer. Now listen, listen. If you're like me, grew up watching Andy Griffith, it's hard to hear that name without getting a particular picture, right? Some of you are going, I have no idea what you're talking about. You can Google it. But see, this Gomer is not someone from a sitcom. She's a woman who would sell her body. And God says, I want you to choose her. And he goes, why her? He goes, because I want the people of Israel to understand both the gravity of their sin and the greatness of my love. And so he goes and he marries this woman named Gomer and they have a marriage and they have children. And then she begins to wander again and she begins to sell herself to other men until it gets to the point that she is now a slave, literally a slave on the selling block. And God comes back to Hosea and says, I want the people to know who I am and that there is nothing, there is no distance so far, there is no sin so great that will separate them from my love. And he says to Hosea, you go buy your wife back. You take your money and you buy her back. He goes, well, well, but is she worth it, God? I mean, how much? How much is she worth? And he says, you pay the price. This is a picture of what God said. When our lives were on the line, when sin was so great, and we as the bride of Christ had left him, he said, I will buy you back, not with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And so he goes and he buys his wife back and he says, come home. Because a bad moment does not have to mean a bad marriage. I don't know where you are today in your relationship. If you're single, become a person who knows who they are, who is connecting with people well. If you're married, know who you are. Lean into your spouse. If you're single again, know who you are. Lean into deep relationships. I don't know where you are, but I want you to know a bad moment does not equal a bad marriage. So long as you still have breath, you still have time. The gospel says there's time. And at a deeper level, the gospel says if you've run away from your husband, the one you love, the God of the universe, the fact you're hearing it this morning again says there's time. You can take that next step home. So I want to invite you to put your feet flat on the ground. We're going to pray together in a moment. I'm going to ask you to reflect for a second before we do. Where are you this morning? Are you in a place where you know who you are? Or do you need to be reminded of the truth that you are made in the image of God? Are you a person who is finding their attachment to others as the source of their identity? Remember, you are made in the image of God. Wherever you are, ask yourself the question. Now ask this question. Where's my spouse? If you're married, where's your wife? Where's your husband? And if you're not married, who is the kind of person that I need to be looking for? And if you're not a Christ follower today, everything we've talked about is seconds to the primary thing that you would know Christ and be known by Christ. So I'm going to ask you to bow your heads. Let's pray. This is a moment where you get to do business with God. 
because he's in the space and he wants to meet you. Father, our hearts are yours. With every eye closed, every head bowed, we simply come to you not as a couple but as individuals. And Father, I confess that I often find my identity in secondary things, good things, but they're not strong enough to support me in life. And I pray for those in this room, Lord, that they would know who you say they are. For anyone who has not yet said yes to Jesus and put you on in baptism, I pray you would meet them this moment in a profound and powerful way that they would say yes, that they would say I'm coming, and that they would take their next step, the wedding ceremony of the Christian in baptism. And for anyone here who is in relationship with others, but it's just not where it needs to be, may you, may you fix and mend what is broken. Lord, for as long as we have breath, there is still time. And with you, all things are possible. So we ask this now in the name of Jesus. Come, heal us, help us. Help us be like you in Jesus' name. Amen.